The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about some of the dangers on the Internet, and we have a wonderful attorney who's been on our show before. She's fantastic. She also has a Ph.D., besides being a trial lawyer, Wendy Patrick. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her if you haven't been listening to her before on our show. Wendy Patrick is a career trial attorney. She's recognized by her peers as one of the 2015 top 10 criminal attorneys in beautiful San Diego by the San Diego Daily Transcript. And she was named the 2014 Public Lawyer of the Year by the California State Bar Public Law Section. She uh, has completed over 160 trials, ranging from hate crimes to domestic violence to first-degree murders, and she is always just so brilliant and a wonderful addition to our show. So thank you, Wendy, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Mar. It's always a privilege. Well, I know that privacy is a huge concern for you, too. What are some of the biggest privacy concerns connected with social media? Well, I think, Marty, the first one is that social media is not private. Now, you might think to yourself, oh, gosh, that's common sense. People know this. But people are unaware of all of the privacy settings that actually are available. It's ironic because, first of all, you think you're joining a platform where you can freely engage with hundreds of thousands of people you've never met and probably never will meet. So obviously people argue, well, you're obviously giving up a lot of privacy, but not so fast. Experts such as yourself are aware that there actually are lots of different privacy settings that you can set, especially on a site like Facebook. i got to tell you what the, the battle is, and I, I know you can relate to this as well, is keeping up with how quickly those privacy settings change. The options are changing. The, the rules for changing your privacy settings are changing. And as we're seeing now played out between the FBI versus Apple over the terrorist's iPhone data, we are seeing that there are constantly new technologies available in order to access private information. So that's probably the, the very first thing to be aware of is it's not private unless you proactively seek to research and figure out how to make it private. 
or I should say, make it more private. That's exactly right, because we know that it's not, if you put something on the internet, you can just be aware that somebody's going to see it, that maybe you don't want to see it, and it's not really private. But how about which social media sites are the most dangerous to use? Well, had you asked me this a year ago, Mario, I would have said Ashley Madison. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, And, and, you know, I, I will say sites, that share information. You know they share information. Now, people say, oh, well, dating sites share information. That's the whole point of it. Many other sites besides dating sites share information. And believe it or not, there are many people that honestly have never taken the time to figure out what kind of sites would be most appropriate for the level of privacy that they prefer. Now, the easy question, if you don't care one way or another, is Twitter. Okay, that's all out there, hanging out for everybody to see, to read. Nobody has any reasonable expectation of privacy in Twitter. But would you send somebody a private message on Twitter? Is that a bigger level of privacy? If you're on Facebook and you agree to someone's friend request, do you realize how many of your friends that they can then gain access to? There are just so many things that people have not thought of. Because let's face it, in our multitasking world, we're so busy as it is, we use social media sometimes as a shortcut to reach more people than we would have been able to one by one. That's one of the reasons it's become such a great marketing tool for companies. But at the same time, when we're using it personally, or even for a small company, it really behooves us to take the time to figure out what kind of access are we opening up by agreeing to allow certain parties access to our site? Have we researched every single person on their friends list or whoever they are going to allow in? And and I'm just not liking it just to Facebook, but plenty of sites operate this way. The network grows sometimes exponentially without the individual user keeping up to date on what that means for them and their data. I know. Somebody just told me that, you know, they thought that Snapchat was safe because after you view it, it goes away. Well, there is another program out there now that you can use that you can actually capture what Snapchat is and it doesn't go away. You can keep it on your phone. So again, for every, for every, you know, kind of privacy uh, technology that you think you have, there's some new software that can just override that. So, hard to keep up with it, isn't it? it? It is really hard. And, you know, Instagram is, people put stuff on Instagram that just blows my mind, you know, that. <laughs> and, you know, especially especially young people, you know, we, we live in a day and age where, you know, fans, friends, and followers are the spice of life. Now, I would call them cyber stalkers in half of these cases, but not so to people that are on social media seeking attention. If you are attention seeking and if you're, your net worth and popularity is driven by your the amount of Facebook likes and hit to, hits to your YouTube page, then the more the merrier. But unfortunately, this kind of interest that many young people seek, and i got to tell you, Mari, it's not just confined to young people. We're always picking we're talking about who's making mistakes on the Internet. Right. And certainly you and I both know that is not true. Sure, there are some judgment issues that teenagers have. Adults grow out of it, but there are also many adults with judgment issues of their own. And sometimes it's judgment combined with unfamiliarity with a particular social media platform. You know, the big joke about we want something changed online, we're going to have to find somebody's grandkid or some high schooler to do it for us. Right, right. Many, many adults feel like they're in the same boat. You know, it's a, it's a scary thing, this new technology, to somebody that spent 60, 70 years 
using the telephone and a pad of paper. So if they do choose to engage, because, for example, they want to keep up with their grandkids and see the latest pictures and all the rest of that, they're going to have to have somebody, I hope they're listening to your show right now, for one thing, and if they are, they're going to have to have somebody help them assist to, to make sure their privacy settings are such that we don't get somebody in there knowing maybe people of their generation are not as tech savvy as the younger people trying to exploit their data or trying to exploit them or befriend them, pretend to be somebody they're not. I mean, the risks are just through the roof when it comes to all the different ways that some of these cyber hackers exploit people and their data. So, um, you know, let's young people, okay, maybe they've got to make sure they're, they're watching it with their scantily clad selfies and provocative screen names. But older people have their issues as well that they've got to make sure they don't release or reveal too much of themselves, their address, their, where they bank, et cetera, where they're going, when they're on vacation, right? Remember that robmyhouse.com website? Right, right. So they've got to be really careful of what they're releasing to make sure they keep themselves and their families safe. And especially if they put their full birthday up there with where they live or where they were born, because there is an algorithm that that you can figure out what their social security number is just from that information, the date of birth and the place where you were born. So that's another one that, again, this is so we're making ourselves so vulnerable. You know, you're talking. uh, Go ahead. I was going to say the birthday thing, Mari, really brings up a whole host of issues because how many reminders do you get daily from both LinkedIn and Facebook telling you when people's birthdays are? Right. You have to make sure you send them the, the e-card or you say happy birthday. How easy it is if you know that, like you're saying, with all these ways you can find out what the date of birth is. You know, there, it's just, there are so many sites that are actually geared towards really capitalizing on things like birthdays, anniversaries, job changes. I mean, we get how many LinkedIn reminders do we get about that sort of thing? Not thinking for a moment that there are some bad people on LinkedIn. You don't normally think about LinkedIn as a place where cyber, cyber hackers would be hanging out. But if you think about it, why not create a profile if, you're, if in fact, you are a criminal why not create a profile, make yourself look good, whoever takes the time to double-check some of that information, and, you know, pretend you're trying to do business. It's an excellent way for criminals, I hate to say it, to infiltrate the working world and gain access to people that do have the kind of money they would probably love to steal from us. So that's just sort of one caveat when it comes to what kinds of social media sites are vulnerable. Right. So we can become a target. Or if somebody just happens to have enough information about us, it might just be uh, a little bit too tempting to steal their identity, right? If, if Yeah, you know what? That's to happen every single day. You know, as many stopgap measures as we think we have in place, we always make the joke that when we call our credit card companies, half of us can't prove who we are because there's so many security (laughs) questions. (laughs) But what a pain to have to continually clear fraud alerts. You know, God forbid one of them doesn't get cleared and doesn't get caught. That's the main thing we worry about. But you're right, there's just too much information that we so freely use that it's just gotten too easy in many cases for cyber hackers to get the information that we're trying to control. Right. Now, you've dealt with a lot of predators, you know, working uh, for the government and prosecuting cases. Tell us about some of the maybe cyber stalking that you know of or that, that has happened that you've been involved in. 
Well, cyber stalking and cyber predators are. This is nothing new. These this has been around since the internet's been around. Here's the, really the danger, and it's almost counterintuitive in a way. Is we tend to have this stereotype of older men. And I don't want to pick on the guys, but statistically, these is you know there are more men than women doing this. Um, some bright fifty-year-old guy masquerades as a fifteen-year-old boy wooing a fifteen-year-old girl. I could make the age thirteen. I could make them twelve. And we tend to think that's what happens. And, and some of the time, that is what happens. But I've seen an enormous amount of cases where after building a relationship with a young girl, sometimes 40 years his junior, hmm. he will be honest about his real name and age if he wasn't from the beginning. In other words, it is a myth that every one of these cases involves a man lying about his age. Now, why is that true? Because the goal of cyber predators is not to have a strictly online relationship. It's to move that relationship offline for purposes of sexual exploitation. So you can't very well keep up the ruse that you're a 15-year-old boy when you're 50 and you're planning on meeting that girl offline. There have been, there's a lot of research that's been done that has shown, and again, this is going to surprise you, uh, or maybe not, you're, you're pretty savvy with all this, Mary, but it may surprise some of your listeners, that the research shows that even when some of these young girls learn the real age of these men that they have formed cyber romances with over the course of months, sometimes years, even when they know how old they are, when they meet them offline, they continue and they still engage in sexual contact. Mm-hmm. They don't run. They don't, they, they try to hide the relationship. You can bet that's for sure from their parents. Some of these young women have written books about the experience in order to warn other young women not to go down this path. So it's incredible the way cyber predators continue to defy stereotypes in the way that they target their prey. One of the other ways that um, pedophiles, by the way, do this is they basically become what the child is looking for in a friend. They'll research the child's likes, dislikes, mm. music, favorite candy, favorite kind of tennis shoes. They'll learn the lingo. And the, the terrible thing is, you know, the research shows that some of these cyber predators know more about the kids than the kids' parents do. Mm. That is how how fixated they become on really attempting to be a cyber chameleon and being everything that that child wants and needs in a friend. Here, too, as well, when it's an offline meeting, when they actually do meet face-to-face, the child normally doesn't run away. And because the, the older person usually has been, you know, eventually come clean, and sometimes they strike up a friendship, which, again, is for purposes of exploitation. Mm-hmm. It's not as a mentor. It's not as a big brother. These are some of the ways that cyber predators operate. Now, cyber stalkers, gosh, that's a whole, you, you got another hour and a half. Yeah, let's talk there. about that. One, but yeah, I think that's say, a, it's you, scary for a lot of very people. Scary. And the Cliff Note version is it's the same as offline stalking, but it's easier in a lot of ways using the Internet. It can be done at all times of day or night with virtual anonymity in terms of finding out sometimes where the perpetrator is. It can be very challenging. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. What kind of laws do we have that that can uh, help the situation? Well, basically, you know, what we talk about when we talk about technology, technology has outpaced the law. It's right. outpaced 
so many laws, and we see that in grand fashion every time there's a professional hacking job and people are trying to figure out how it was done. Stalking can be done offline or online. Um, there are some, there are some continuing laws being passed throughout the nation on things like cyberbullying, which is which is new, and it's different. I, I got to say this for a second. You know, some people think about cyberbullying and they say, "Oh, everybody was bullied when they were a kid." You know, adults that are now 50 years old remember, you know, fights by the bike racks after school. Cyberbullying is different. It's different in so many different ways. One of the ways it's different is sometimes that stuff is out there on the Internet forever. I mean, how horrible is it to be insulted on the playground when you are, you know, 12 years old, 11 years old, your formative years where everything is like so blown out of proportion? How much worse is it when it's online and it's there forever? And it can be retweeted and retweeted and retweeted. I mean, we've seen some of our young people killing themselves over things that have been posted online. Cyberbullying is an absolute menace. To some of these young people today, it's it's one of those crimes that is so malignant that it is actually spurning legislation, which is ending up in some new laws across the nation. Then you've got things like revenge porn, uh, yes. cyber exploitation, is mm. really what we should be calling it. But there are more and more crimes that are being in, you know investigated online, and as a result. There are more states that are taking a hard look at how should we revise some of our criminal laws in order to penalize some of what's, you know, to reflect the reality of the day and age we live in. Exactly. Let's let's talk a little bit about revenge porn. And I know there was legislation that passed in California. Give us a little bit of an overview more about revenge porn. It uh What's, what's scary is you, if you are, and here we are on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and people have relationships, and sometimes in those relationships they take pictures of each other, maybe doing sexting, et cetera, et cetera, and then the relationship ends, and then somebody's hurt or somebody's angry, and then they do revenge. But there's all sorts of revenge porn, right? Tell us a little bit about yeah. it. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point because, you know, it used to be the case that you would have people going on TV, giving speeches, saying, if you don't want nude pictures of yourself on the Internet, don't take any. But what trial are we almost right in the middle of now? We're in the middle of a trial where a woman was was videotaped and photographed through a peephole. So in other words, you don't have to give anybody consent to anything to worry about there being naked pictures of you on the Internet. They can be taken through your computer screen, through closed-circuit television, through surveillance, through drones. I mean, how many cases have we seen in the last year alone where neighbors have seen drones flying outside their windows when they've been undressing? Mm. So it is no longer the case that lapses in judgment are the only way in which embarrassing photographs can make their way onto the Internet. And then they're there. They're there, and we can say, oh, well, we'll try to take them down. But they've been captured by so many different outlets. There's so many ways in which people can capture data before somebody has a chance to take it down that it's virtually impossible to track that sort of thing. So when you do that sort of thing for money, it's become cyber extortion. It can become... Um, you know, some type of revenge that is now being used not only to humiliate, to embarrass, but to extort money. So getting that kind of information on the Internet to begin with, or even threatening that that's what we're going to do, is really problematic, more so every day as we can we continue to see different undercover ways of accessing pe- uh, people's very, very private information. You remember the upskirting legislation? Yes. That was that has been passed in some of these states that didn't really have a way to say, hey, you can't, so, you, you know, covertly stick a camera up somebody's skirt or up a dressing room, a dressing room door. You know, we've really had to look for loopholes that criminalizes 
a lot of conduct that otherwise would give criminals an out to say, hey, I understand you don't like what I'm doing, but you don't currently have a lot to prosecute me. That's right. what we want to avoid. Right. Or the, the like you said, the people in the bathrooms with, at, in uh, commercial places or restaurants, and then somebody is, you know... Or hotel rooms. Or, or hotel, hotel rooms. rooms, exactly. And th- this is pretty scary. You think you're going to a hotel room and you're going to have privacy in that room and you get undressed and you don't think about it, and then something is up on the on the web. So what are they doing? What kinds of prosecution is there for that kind of a thing? Oh, plenty. I mean, it's, a lot of the stuff is illegal, both state and federally, depending on, you know, how you, how you choose to um, choose your jurisdiction. I, I only say that because federal and state laws often have wildly different punishments. So when you look at the kinds of cyber crimes, you're going to look at federal statutes, see what's available, look at state statutes, obviously see um, what the penalties are for both. You're going to look at which agency most properly should be handling the case. Did it happen in a particular city? Was it used? You know, you, there's so many different things that you look at to find out where jurisdiction is proper. And I got to tell you, every single year there are more laws on the books, not just criminal laws. Right. There's plenty of. Let's look at employment law. We've seen in the last couple of years some different laws that govern how much information your employer can ask. Right? They can't ask your Facebook password. They can't. Can they friend you? I don't know. There's some <laughs> some kind of unanswered questions that are out there. Right? That's a lot of pressure getting a friend request from your boss um, or a LinkedIn connection request. So we always hope there's going to be more legislation every year. But as many of these cases find themselves in court. Oftentimes, litigation leads to legislation because where there are loopholes identified or where there are problem areas or where somebody thinks that the punishment doesn't fit the crime or vice versa, what we see are new laws, we see revisions of old laws, and this is a continuing process, and I only expect it's going to continue as we as a society get more and more tech savvy, sometimes exponentially as year after year passes. You know, let's get back a little bit to cyberbullying. What what do you think about the schools? Do you think that they have any uh, jurisdiction over cyberbullying when it happens off campus? Well, there's been there's a uh, basically a difference of opinion about that. Um, depends on many times you have programs that are related to school that are uh, an extension of the school, and right. there are, you know I would advise your listeners to make sure they look at their particular state law because like any law. Sometimes they are adopted differently in different states. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, there have been cases where students have been expelled for something they post in connection with a homecoming dance, for example, even if they don't post it at the school. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for school-sanctioned activities. I would analogize it sometimes to the workplace. So you've got employees that are able to be disciplined for conduct that happens at a Christmas party, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when they might argue, well, it was a Christmas party, but it wasn't in the workplace. So there's lots of things that can be extensions. But it's also sort of the same analogy as you need to have some sort of a nexus in most cases. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, let me kind of turn the tables a little bit because there are some professions, such as some government jobs, law enforcement, and educators, where there is almost a higher standard of conduct. And many people say, oh, that's not fair. But sometimes in safety professions, and especially public safety professions, and with our educators, there's more expected. So, when you look at things like cyberbullying, which was the premise of your question, yeah. you've got to look at somebody's conduct in the lens most appropriate to the job that they do or the role that they have. So whether it's looking as to whether you can discipline a student, discipline a teacher, 
or somebody else that is held to this higher standard, nexus matters. So you're going to want to look at a lot of different things in deciding whether that kind of cyber harassment or cyber bullying is something that's going to be actionable. Yeah, and a lot of the cyber bullying that happens online gets carried back into the schools, into the high schools. And it seems to me that the schools should at least have some training and some mediation programs and something there to address it. And I and some schools are doing that. They're just making people aware and conscious of it and really teaching the ethics of not doing it. But um, I think that's something that parents would probably really appreciate because they're not there with the other parents to say, hey, stop doing this, you know. Yeah, and schools are, they have really stepped up their training, and as have companies, hotels. You know, it, every time one of these lawsuits gets filed, occasionally it just breaks our hearts to see all of, and this isn't true in every case, but it's true in a lot of cases, when we see all of the safeguards that were put in place by the hotel, right. by the company, by the school, and somehow someone managed to circumvent whatever security training, loopholes, whatever they could to pull off the crime. And it's almost like, you know, how, how much can you do? You can train people, you can have them watch videos and take tests and sign agreements that they understand these rules, and you still have lawbreakers that basically go out and give, the black eye, give a black eye to the company, to the school, to whatever it is. So it's not always a training issue. Often it's a, a rogue employee or just a criminal. Sometimes the explanation is very simple. Criminals, by definition, don't follow the law. You can train them till the, the you know, the, <laughs> as long as the day is long, and it just isn't going to matter to that person. Now, the question employers probably wish they knew is how do we make sure we don't hire criminals to begin with? Right. And if we all knew the answer to that, we would never see another case of insider fraud, would we, if we right. knew the answer to that? Right. So, I mean, you, you know, can do a background do- check, but... but- you know, we know, and you know this from being in the criminal areas, even a background check isn't necessarily going to help because sometimes people don't have uh, problems in their background or you don't, or it doesn't show up, right? We just saw that with the Uber driver that went on the killing spree in Michigan, didn't we? Right. A background, right. You know, not that they shouldn't be background checking. They are background checking. I mean, the issue with them now is, you know, should they be fingerprinting? But suffice it to say, one of the arguments they made in this particular case is that a background check wouldn't have caught a man that has right. no criminal background. Now, that's not always going to be true. Definitely a good start. But you're right in saying that many companies that do run criminal background checks, you know, there's a first time for everybody, and somebody that's gotten as, as far as they have in life with the credentials and the resume to land a good job, I'm thinking they're probably not a convicted felon. And if that's true, then you wouldn't necessarily envision that this is somebody that's going to be a problem employee. Yet you and I both know what happens every day. Yeah. And then, of course, a lot of people are doing these personality tests to see if something shows up that way because they're worried about what might happen. So it's it's really unfortunate. So, you know, we have just a couple minutes left, and I'm just wondering, what advice do you give parents who are really worried about their kids and they're going to give them a smartphone and all these things? What advice do you have for parents? You know, the best advice for parents is open communication line with the kids. You know, it is... 
it makes so much more difference to a teenager to explain why the parents have the rules they do, especially when you know that the teen's friends are using some of the technology that you would prefer your kids did not use. You know, parents always worry that if they say no, the kids are going to go to school and they're going to just borrow their friends' devices and do what they need to do. But some of the very wise conversations that parents have with their kids make so much of a difference. I mean, young teenage girls don't want bad cyber predators coming into their phones and stealing all of their data, especially if they're taking pictures that maybe are exercising poor judgment because, let's face it, not all young girls are online exchanging favorite ice cream. They are exchanging photos that you wish they'd never taken. Sometimes those open communication lines and really sharing the common sense rationale behind the rules can make all the difference in the world. I mean, there's nothing more heartening for me to hear of parent-child relationship where the child actually gets it and understands why the parent has the rules that they have. And that's that's a young child that's going to grow up and have the same rationale and loving relationship with his or her children. I, I just love to see that. And, you know, if there are people listening that don't have the ideal relationship they wish they did with their children, you know what? Today's a whole new day. Yep. Tomorrow's a whole new day. You know, it is never too late to build that kind of relationship. I mean, how many people do we know that have turned their relationships around with a new approach to communication? So, you know, there's just so much hope out there for safe cyber security. And that really is the goal with parents who've decided that their children have become old enough to be trusted with the device. That is so perfect. A perfect ending. Wendy Patrick, you are wonderful. We will have you back again. Thanks so much for joining us. And Thank you, you for having me, Mari. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.